you would generally think that uh, parents want their children and their grandchildren to be better than they are, both in the world's success and then as an individual. And one of the things that disturbs me is that as I watch a lot of parents today, they may say that, but they don't do that. Um, my son and I were talking about uh, a friend that he had and, and how they have not had, he's still their friend, and um, how the child would misbehave and so they would do something to, to punish the child, but in, in actuality what it felt like to the parents is that they were being punished because they had to then spend all their time entertaining the child. And my son, knowing that one of my favorite secular artists is Meatloaf, and he has what you would call like an op rock opera sound song that says, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. And my son goes, that's a great sermon title for you. I'll do anything for my children, but I won't do that. And so what I want you to take a look at this is how what we do or don't do will impact our children and our grandchildren. And maybe we can learn from what others didn't do to correct those things so that they might actually be not only more successful and better people, but understand who God is and walk with Him more closely. So taking a look at Daniel chapter 5, it says this, Belshazzar the king held a great feast of a th for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. And when Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and the concubines drank from them, and they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, to give you the context, things aren't going well in Babylon. There is an army outside the city led by the Medes and the Persians. But Babylon was such a fortified city because of its high and wide walls and because of the provisions, it was felt that, that Babylon could not be taken by force nor could it be starved out by siege because it was said that it had sufficient supplies for 20 years. And the river Euphrates flew, flowed through the city so that uh, there would be a plentiful supply of water. And so that's the context, is that you might think that things aren't what they ought to be. Now there's two things I need to bring up. Number one, people will say, it says he's the king, but actually he's whatever. His father was the king. Then later they discovered through historical and archaeological records that the father and son agreed to become co-regents, and the father went elsewhere. Some think he went to Arabia and probably felt safer there since 
Babylon was under siege. So they were co-regents. That's going to be important in, in a moment. Also, people will say, well, but Belshazzar isn't the son of Nebuchadnezzar. That's right. But the Hebrew and the Aramaic had no word for grandfather or papa. It's like people will say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. You know why the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs? Because the word wasn't invented until about 1850. The Bible was written long before that. So you can't say, well, there's electricity isn't mentioned in the Bible. That's right, because we hadn't invented it yet. So you can't use words for things. that. Are, so the best way to talk about an, a descendant is to say their father. So Belshazzar was a co-regent with his father, and his grandfather was Nebuchadnezzar. And they're having a party. And it's a big party. A thousand nobles who are there, and, and the wine's flowing, and Belshazzar has a great idea. Let's take the articles of silver and gold from the temple that my grandfather sacked in Jerusalem, and let's use them for our party. So in essence, it was a blasphemous party. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lapstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. He's scared jointless. You've heard people say that they're so mad that their nose is out of joint or they're out of joint. He's so scared he's out of joint. He doesn't even know what it says, but not every day do you see the back of a man's hand writing on a wall an inscription. He knows it can't be good. And so he's scared. And his entire body, his face, his body reflects it. And the king called aloud to bring to in the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. See, now I want to go back. See, the Bible is always accurate. The reason that they, he can only make him the third ruler is because the first two is occupied. The dad and him are co-regents. They're one and two. So he can only offer the third position in the kingdom, which is if they can come up with this inscription and its interpretation. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then the king, Belshazzar, was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. What's going on? Why is the king so frightened? What's going on? This isn't... And so the scriptures are about... And no, none of the wise men 
None of the witch doctors, none of the conjurers, nobody can come up with even a fake interpretation. Verse 10. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. And the queen spoke and said, so obviously there's a murmuring and a, and a panic that's going on, what's going on, and she hears about it, so she decides to make her presence into the, the party. And the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanations of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Now, the queen understands and probably the queen mother or queen grandmother, understood history. She understood what Nebuchadnezzar went through, and she understood what Daniel was as a part of the kingdom, and how he was an important ally in understanding and giving wisdom to the king, which kind of shows by implication the first mistake this new king had. He didn't keep Daniel as an advisor. And there's a lot of times that that happens. When somebody becomes new, they want their people in charge because they want them to be dependent upon them and they want them to give the advice that they seek rather than finding wise men and women to give counsel. So instead of using those who his father or grandfather had used to give wise counsel... He becomes irrelevant. And the queen has to remind him of Daniel and how important he was. So important that he was the main chief minister to these people. And notice she calls him by his Hebrew name, Daniel. Even though after many, many years of being known by the name given to him, she still calls him Daniel. Says that your father, your grandfather changed his name, but she still calls him Daniel. But she gives the advice, there is a man. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is the one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you and that the illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, 
and you will, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. So Belshazzar gives Daniel the same offer that he gave to the other wise men. If you can make known this inscription and give me the interpretation, then I will set you as the third ruler. I'll give you a purple robe, which means it's an expensive clothing, and you'll have gold, so it'll be apparent that you are above your station, that you are in the upper class because you wear fine clothing of purple, which is expensive, and you wear a gold necklace, and you will be the third person in the kingdom. Pretty great offer. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself. A little different response than he used to give to Nebuchadnezzar. His, Nebuchadnezzar is, oh, as the king lives, and this and that. His response is, keep your gifts to yourself. They don't impress me. Now we're going to see that it doesn't much matter what gifts to give because it will last all of about a couple hours. Keep your gifts for yourself or give your reward to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. So he goes, I don't want any pay for this. I don't want any recognition. It's not that I can't do it because God has given me the gift to do it, but I will do so without reward. O King, the Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished he killed, and whomever he wished he spared alive, and whomever he wished he elevated, and whomever he wished he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. So he gives him a history lesson. He goes, your grandfather, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, was a great man. He had absolute power. If he ordered you dead, you were dead. He said you got to be alive, you were alive. If you were going to be rewarded, he said, fine. If you take all the property away. He said he had absolute power. And in that situation, he became arrogant in his pride. And so God dealt with him to remind him and to, to inform him that God is the one who sets powers and kingdoms and authorities. And that Nebuchadnezzar should not be so prideful that it is God's whose kingdom will be forever. Nebuchadnezzar's will only be for a period of time. Yet you, verse 22, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heavens. 
and have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and of gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. He goes, you knew the history of your grandfather. You knew how God dealt with him. And instead of learning the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned, that you do not set yourself as prideful before God, what have you done? Even though you're lesser than your grandfather. Your grandfather had these characteristics and this power. You don't. And yet, you have even worse sense of pride. So much so, that Nebuchadnezzar at least took the items and placed them in the house of his God, saying, my God obviously is better than your God because I've got your stuff. But he never took them and used them. But Belshazzar not only takes them and shows them off, he uses them to worship idols. So you do not, who do not see or hear or understand, but the God in whose hand you are, life, breath, and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this is the inscription which was written out. Now as we look at this, we go, oh, that's terrible. He used the vessels of the temple of God as worship to his idols. And we can quickly jump on him, and rightfully so. But let us remind us that you and me, we are the temple of the living God. That we are vessels of his use. Now, we may not drink to other gods, but we may use this temple in a way that does not glorify Him. Now, this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, mene, tekel, absurin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Not good news. Teco, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Whoa. Not only is my kingdom days numbered, I have been weighed and found deficient. Now before we get all prideful, because so often we say, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm at least better than Belshazzar. I don't do the things he does. Well, right there, you've got some pride. Have you been using the things in worship of God as it ought to be rather than as it's your convenience? And you may find many people, or even most people, who aren't as moral and as good and do as many nice things as you do. But as Jesus said, there are no one good except God. 
So if you and I were placed on the scales to be weighed, we would be found deficient. But it's because of Jesus' blood and His righteousness that we are now righteous and sufficient. And Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Daniel's time with the king, very short. A few moments when a party just got interrupted by some really bad news. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Wonderful. At least he's a man of his word. He throws wild parties. He abuses the name of God. He's not all bad. He keeps his promises. Especially when you consider what Daniel just said. You've learned nothing from your father and grandfather. You've just caused judgment to fall upon you by, from, the, from God because you didn't do these things. And your kingdom is coming to an end. He still honors his word. In verse 30. That same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain. He was throwing a party because his city was impregnable. No army could, could break down the walls. No army could, could climb over the walls. They couldn't siege him out because he had sufficient supplies. And so he could party like it's 1999. Except the Medes and the Persians weren't stupid. So the river Euphrates that flowed fresh water was diverted. And the army went underneath the walls. And that night, there was a change in the kingdom. No longer were the Babylonians in charge, but just as Daniel had, in, had interpreted for the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, it is now the time of the silver part of the statute, the Medes and Persians to rule. Now, in case you think this is just... This date happened on October either the 11th or 12th of 539 B.C. This is just not a story in the Scriptures. This is history. Belshazzar did not learn from his grandfather. We as parents and grandparents need to make sure that our children and grandchildren learn about 
God, that His love for them, that His mercy towards them, that His forgiveness and His holiness and His righteousness and all of who He is. So that when difficult times come, they're prepared. And when prosperity comes, they're prepared. Oftentimes, we are driven away from God more by prosperity than poverty. More by good things than persecution. Because in persecution, we're oftentimes driven to God. In prosperity, we tend to forget Him. We need to teach our children so that they are wiser and more equipped to be dependent upon God and know who God is. And that doesn't start when they're adults. That starts before they even know the language you speak to them. We speak generally English. So read the Scriptures to them. It's good for them. Science says it helps with the brain. Why not, while you're helping the brain, help the soul by communicating the Word to God even before they can understand it? Because if you do that, I suspect there will come a time where they will understand it at a younger age than you do at your old age. Because you have... And hopefully that is your desire, that you want your children to be better than you are, that you want them not to make the mistakes that you've made, that you want them to walk closely with God. And yes, they will, and they will, because we're all human and we all mess up. But if you set them on the path, they're less likely to have these types of incidents. So Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom at about the age of 62. God changes kingdoms because God would no longer tolerate blasphemy by this kingdom. We might say, well, hey, just items of gold and silver, you know, no big deal. God takes his symbols really seriously. If you don't think so, ask Moses who was told to strike a rock and then speak to a rock, and then decided to strike the rock a second time. Talk about when we are told that we are living stones, that we are to be assembled as a temple to Him, that we are His temple, and we are not to be misled with the fact that using our body for things that are not glorifying to him is blasphemy as well. Yeah, we talk about we are his temple, and that's an analogy, it's a symbol. It doesn't make it any less true. So when we come to worship, We should come understanding who He is. That every breath that we take is because of His love towards us. That every gift that we have been received 
is because of His love towards us. And that we should worship Him in spirit and in truth because that's how He has called us to be, in spirit and in truth. We don't worship because it feels good. We worship because it's true. But being a temple isn't something that we just do Sunday morning until the service is over. It is 24-7, 365 or 366. God doesn't take a day off, and neither should we towards His worship. So, if you love your children and your grandchildren, then do anything for love. If you love the Lord your God, you will do anything for love. The only thing that I won't do is take the credit. Because it all belongs to Him. Whatever successes that we might have, it's because of Him. Whatever failures we have may also be because of Him. So teach us something more more rich and more deep. To give people a positive attitude, there's a little phrase that says, I think it came from Einstein, success is never permanent and failure is never fatal. Learn from our mistakes. Enjoy our successes. But always give God the glory and understand that our breath, our very being, is His. And all God's people said,